Right, hey, thanks everyone for coming out here. I'm, I'm Todd Brabeck. Uh, just quickly, for most of my career, I was, I was executive vice president uh, of ASCAP and worldwide director of membership. I, Jeff and I teach at USC the music publishing licensing course uh, and contracts course, uh, film and TV and video game contracts at USC. Uh, we wrote this book, which I know all of you have, Music, Money, and Success, the eighth edition. Uh, so it pretty much covers everything you want to know as a publisher, or at least most of it. And uh, I do a lot of uh, 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 expertise work uh, at, in the court these days and stuff like that. But as I said, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. Jeff, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Brabeck, uh, Senior Vice President, uh, BMG, uh, with a fourth look. Can everyone hear me? No. No. Can you put the mic up just a little bit, or please? I'm good. So. Hello. Oh, you know, it's possibly it's not on. You, you tell me. No, this is not on. Yeah. Oh, wait. This here's the reason we don't talk about new technology. <laughs> <laughs> Is there someone uh, 15 and under in the, in the room? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, the great, the batteries were low. <laughs> okay, now am I too loud? Okay, the wild thing is he, he had a little badge on him saying AI. It's weird. Okay, hello. Uh, once again, uh, Je Jeff Brabeck, uh, Senior Vice President, BMG. We're the fourth largest music publishing company in the world. We also have a record company which is uh, growing in, in leaps and bounds. And uh, uh, we've got a TV company, we've got a book company. Uh, we, um, we actually uh, are in a theatrical situation right now where we're actually creating scripts and, and uh, um, treatments for writers, catalogs that we own. So it's in, we're, we're in, into a lot of things right now. My main role at uh, BNG is, is acquisitions. Uh, I do get involved when one of our writers writes for a film or writes for a TV show, because those deals are a little bit more complicated. I get into, uh, obviously, the, uh, the, the digital agreements. Uh, but acquisitions is where I am right now, just evaluating catalogs, et cetera. We did a panel last year on, on this. Uh, and, uh, but this, this year, we're going to go a little bit different direction. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, this year, the, the, we did a panel on the, uh, all the basics of uh, buying and selling copyrights, evaluations, and everything else, million-dollar catalog sales, I think it was called. But the, the basis of all those sales, obviously, is the money that's being generated within a, in a publishing company. So that's really what we're going to be talking about today, uh, uh, you know, all the different areas of royalties and, and actual uh, how they're set and what the actual dollar figures that you have to deal with in these days. Because most times, people do not know the actual money that's being generated uh, from a particular transaction. So we, we, we cover that in the book a lot. We cover that uh, in, in the, this particular thing here. Our, I, I do recommend going to our, our website is musicandmoney.com, real subtle. Uh, it's, it's got, we put up a lot of articles there, and there's a, a photo gallery of uh, uh, me with uh, you know, 150 other uh, you know, stars over the last 40 years. Uh, you can see Neil Young when he was young, when he was middle-aged, and then he's older. I haven't changed a bit in these photos, but it's a fun site, but it's very educational. So, so we'll just start with uh, 
Yeah, <coughs> we're, we're going to cover an awful lot of stuff here also, quickly. So. Yeah, I, I, I love my, how my brother said other stars, as, <laughs> as if you're one of them. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I tell you, what, we, what we're try, going to try to do is bring kind of realism in, into this talk. And very briefly, when we talk about a certain area of income, we're going to actually tell you what the request might be from the person who wants to you know, utilize your music. So whether, And this goes for master recordings or sound recordings and, and or compositions. Most times the considerations are, are the same. Uh, you know, the, the difference many times being, you know, the back-end royalties. Sometimes if you're the record company or the recording artist, you're not going to have back-end royalties depending on, you know, where the, where the use occurs. Let's say, you know, network TV, obviously the, the songwriters will, or HBO, et cetera, the songwriters will get money and the music publishers will get money when a certain episode is performed or broadcast. The, uh, you know, the, the recording artists and the uh, record company do not get, but, but we, we can get into that when we talk about sound. Also, Everybody wants to tape this. We're fine with that yeah. because uh, you know we, we put out a lot of stuff there. A little tough to follow sometimes, particularly from our point of view. Well, <laughs> yeah. so, why don't we start out with? Uh, we'll try to cover uh, films, TV, yeah. uh, video games, uh, uh, sound exchange. The PROs are really important. Ask BMI, CSAC, and GMR because for all of you as publishers and as writers, uh, know that the largest source of continuing income is the income from the PRO. So, and it's a very complex area and stuff with different payment schedules, and but we'll get into actually what the royalties are for a particular type of uses. So, you want to start with uh, some feature films or yeah. indie films? Or yeah, what? definitely. And as far as the PRO income, Todd will make it even more complex than it really yep. is. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's why you have, to, you have to buy the book then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I forgot what I said. Page 42. Okay. Uh, very quickly, and I'm going to spend a lot of time on motion pictures, but it is a really valuable source of income, you know, if in fact you can get your song into, into a major film or, or indie films, because more and more indie films are doing well and more and more indie films are being streamed on the digital services or Documentary docu documentaries as well. You know, at one time people could care less about getting their music into documentaries, but now it's, it's a really prime, you know, vehicle for, for exposure of compositions and, and to show how compositions can and really help you know the the audiovisual work by moving the plot along, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, films basically the license agreement, and I'm talking about pre-existing compositions. I'm not going to get into writing songs for films. That's a little bit more complex. Uh, we got a whole chapter in the book on that, so I'm not going to touch that unless someone really wants to, and then I'll just summarize very briefly. But if you're licensing your your songs or your master recordings, you know, to a a, a motion picture. It's one of the easiest type of licenses going. It's called basically an all, uh, all broad rights, all media um, license, uh, life of copyright in almost all cases. So once you you know agree to put your song, your master recording into a, a scene in a film, uh, it's there for the life of copyright. You know, those, there's no further money. There's a one-time fee in almost all cases, and that fee covers all broad rights, including home video. Um, Historically, many, many years ago, when we licensed songs to film companies, there would actually be a clause in there about a per cassette or per home video royalty if, in fact, uh, something was sold on DVDs, et cetera. That is not the case. That ended years and years ago. So right now, if you're licensing a song into a film, it's going to be a one-time fee. And that's it, other than the back-end royalties that Todd can talk about, or if there's a soundtrack album, or if there are digital downloads from, of songs from the film, et cetera. Uh, as I said, uh, one-time license. Um, some interesting points, if your song is actually requested for the opening or closing credits, 
you charge an additional fee. It's very standard. Uh, sometimes you may not understand why closing credits would be so valuable when most people are getting up. Uh, you know, I wait. You know, in the theater, uh, or even at home, you know, and you know, t because the songs credits are always at the end, and you know, and, and the theaters, you know, if you're not in, you know, the uh, stadium sitting, you know, you have people walking in front of you. But I, uh, you know, I, I, I like to see the credits at at the end. But you can always charge more for opening or closing credits. Uh, opening credits, sometimes a song or a master recording, will kind of give the feel of where the film is going or the opening scene is many many times very important. So you can always charge more than that. Um, if the filmmaker asks for a change of lyrics, obviously they're not looking for the master recording. You know, they're looking for an actor, you know, to sing or, or, or recite the song. You know, in the film, you uh, charge more. Um, one thing you have to watch out for: if you get a request from a film company that has a number of different uses, it just doesn't say one use up to 30 seconds or one use up to a full full minute, etc. They'll have. Uh, use for a minute, uh, use for 10 seconds, use for 15 seconds, an additional use for 35 seconds. If you get a request like that, you know that the song is basically becoming thematic to the film. Somehow that song is moving the plot along. So in those cases, you always ask for the scene description. In any license, you ask for the scene description um, because you want to know how your song is being licensed into what type of uh, vehicle, you know, what the scene is going to be like, whether there's extreme violence, whether there's sexual activity, nudity, whether it's just, you know, straightforward. So you really ask you know, a lot of questions. And if you're not satisfied, keep on asking questions. The film producer is not going to mind telling you how the song is going to be used because they want your song. You know, just remember that. Um, as far as fees go, you know, it depends if it's a major motion picture versus indie motion picture. You've got to come in with a, within the budget, and this is the music budget, you know, for the film. If you're not, unless you've got that special song or that special recording, you know, your songs can be replaced by, by another song. And I guarantee you, almost any song out there can be replaced. You know, the director or the music supervisor might not like it, but there's always some something or another company that will license within the parameters of what that budget says. Um, fees? Oh, the, the fees for a major motion picture go any. See, everything in this area is negotiable. So it could go anywhere from 25,000 to 75,000 to I've seen 150,000, 250,000, depending on the song and the master recording. There are certain songs and recordings that have very sometimes never been licensed or you know have really restrictions about them and those can be very expensive. But uh, if you're dealing with indie films, it could be anywhere under the sun. You know, it could be uh, hundred dollars, you know, but most indie films, the definition of indie film right now, you know, back in the day, it was like 250,000 or a hundred thousand, you know, dollar budget, you know, these days we're talking five million, 10 million, 15 million dollars for indie films. So they normally do have some kind of budget, you know, but you've got to come within that budget. Yeah. Um, so sometimes on that also you can build in step deals where, yeah. you know, based on the success of the film, if it hits a certain amount in the box office, domestic or foreign. Foreign, you build an additional option amounts, like another thousand dollars, another five thousand, whatever negotiates. But so, if the film does well, you at least uh, you know uh, uh, you know go with them with some kind of time of success. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, we have some stuff in the book on it again, but I just throw it out to as a uh, the step deals are are interesting because you try to put them in as much as possible if they're if they they're acceptable. So. 
Yeah. One of the primary considerations that you have to get your hands on is if you license you know, to either a film or a motion picture or, or motion picture or a television show, this is across the board, uh, all the licenses have you being able to get a copy of the music cue sheet. Now, the music cue sheet just basically has a list of all the composition and all the pieces of score in the film uh, chronologically, and basically it has the title of the song, the songwriters, the performance rights affiliation, how the song was used in the film, very briefly, visual vocal, background vocal, or uh, visual instrumental, background instrumental. It doesn't give the scene description, uh, just the actual you know, simplistic way the song is used, and, and the duration. Uh, and the Performance Rights Society. That cue sheet, and you want to talk about cue sheets, yeah. how they're no, distributed? Just basically, it's important you check the cue sheet because, as you know, in the U.S. and quite a few other countries, depending how something is used, whether it's a theme, whether it's background score or a visual vocal or a visual instrumental, it's paid differently by the PROs. So that's why if, if something's listed as score or background and it's actually a visual vocal, that's a big difference in payment. So you always want to check the cue sheet to make sure it's uh, accurate. And the cue sheets are circulated throughout the entire world. So every time that film is shown on, this goes for television also, every time it's that episode or film is shown on any type of uh, regular TV, cable, uh, streaming service, whatever, you know, the payments are ge being generated by that cue sheet. So that's why it's really important to have the cue sheet. It's important to also to make sure your PRO circulates that cue sheet to territories where this particular film or TV series is being broadcast. So. And you know, one, one last thing on that, the one area that's important in the film area is that there is something called the uh, theatrical box office. And in the U.S., uh, ASCAP, BMI, and PROs do not license movie theaters. There are no royalties when you have a, it could be an independent film, major film, doesn't make any difference. No royalties are being generated outside the U.S. Most countries, uh, there have formulas from the PROs that it's approximately about 1% of the box office goes to all the music writers on a particular uh, uh, movie that's being performed in the theater. Uh, so that's at the theatrical exhibition royalties. And you start looking at pictures like Alan Silvestri I signed many years ago, great composer. He did uh, uh, Endgame, uh, uh, you know, uh, Avengers. I think it did about $2 billion in foreign theatrical box office. Just think about that. It's 1% of that, you know, less certain deductions by the local society. And that went to he and all the particular, they had a lot of songs in that movie. I think it was like... Uh, uh, where was it? Uh, Stones were in there, Led Zeppelin, The Kinks, Traffic, uh, Harry James from 1945 had a song in there. So all of those writers and publishers got money for theatrical box office outside the U.S. And that flows from the Foreign Society to ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, or GMR, whoever you as a, a writer or a publisher are members of. So it's an important source of income. It got devastated during the pandemic, but it's coming back. Uh, I think uh, in 2019, it was about $43 billion world worldwide billion dollars. Uh, last year it came up to I think about 20, uh, 25 or something in that area. So it's coming back at least. So it's, a, it's an important source of income. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to deal with just two quick things which you may or may not get into, but at least you'll know the parameters. Uh, one thing, when you license a song or master recording to a motion picture, um, they get the right to use that song in in-context trailers or promos. So basically, if there's a promo on a particular film and they use the scene that your song or master recording's in, that is part of the original license. 
license. There's no extra fee. But if, in fact, uh, it's, it's an out-of-context situation where your song or recording is used over a number of scenes in the film, in the promo, there's an extra fee involved in that. Uh, the fees in the, in the trailer area have gone up spectacularly. I mean, years and years ago, they were in the, you know, $25,000 to $50,000 range. Uh, I've seen fees for use of a song or a recording in a trailer for a major motion picture of over a million dollars. So it's an area that if you've got the right song or recording, you can make an awful lot of money. And justifiably so, because there's a whole different mar uh, marketing budget that the film companies have you know, for a promotion of a film. And uh, you know, they, they've got the money. They know how important a song or the right recording can be to generate interest in a film coming out so uh, because that first two weeks of a film usually are just most important so you, you can make an awful lot of money um, the media is always broad rights all, all TV all, all and any kind of distribution there are options in to use the song in the uh, tr uh, non-trailer use of the film's website out of context use for making of and behind the scenes so th there's a bunch of options that can happen but really valuable area another area which you're probably not Gonna, most of you are not going to see very much. It has to do with biopics. Normally, when there's a biopic, whether it be Aretha Franklin, Elvis Presley, you name it, Elton John, whatever, you know, most of them are deceased artists, and but you know they're more and more uh, coming out with uh, you know people are still alive. The film producer will try, try normally try to lock up certain hit songs because you don't want to get into a situation where. You know, you've got a motion picture uh, about a, a, you know, a certain individual. There might be a competing biopic. I've seen that happen in the past uh, with the Jimi Hendrix films, where one producer could not get all of the hit songs for his film because they've been locked up by another film producer who was quicker and and possibly smarter to get you know a lockup situation. Basically, the exclusive holds are very straightforward. They've got an exclusive hold for, let's say, 18 months to 24 months for a set fee, uh, totally negotiable, non-recoupable. That's just to keep the song off the market and not license it to another picture or vehicle that has to do with that particular individual being featured in the film. And then there's also uh, additional fees for how the song is used in the film. I'll give you one quick example without, without the fees, but this had to do with the, uh, uh, the Aretha Franklin bio picture. picture. Uh, there, was all, there was the hold fee, and there was an option for an additional 18-month hold fee, because sometimes films take a while to get financed and shot. But there are also fees for three separate types of categories, main, and, main or end title use, separate fee, uh, visual vocal in the film and background vocal in the film. So there were all these fees listed out. But the pr producer knew he or she was safe because they had the song locked up. So that's something that you might not get into, but if you do, it can be really lucrative because part of those fees are non-recoupable. They're not advances. Uh, uh, quickly, very. I'm going to talk about TV very quickly. Um, and once again, Dramatic shows are a fairly simple license. Take any, any dramatic show on Netflix or network TV, HBO, you name it. Basically, they're a life of copyright licenses, you know, once again, just like motion pictures, but the licensing's a little bit different. Um, the license is in all media, excluding theatrical. So basically, if your song or recording goes into an episode of a dramatic show, they can distribute that show to any and all media other than they can't put it into motion picture theaters. Um, 
couple years ago, or two or three years ago, um, one show, uh, two, two episodes of Game of Thrones was put into motion picture theaters. That's a whole separate type of license outside your normal you know, licensed vehicle. Uh, there's an additional fee for that. Um, as in motion pictures, it almost always includes DVDs, home video, et cetera. So once again, you're going to get a one-time fee and you know, with, you know, with back-end royalties, you know, possibly if, if, it's, if it's on performed on television. Um, I'll give you one quick example of what these scenes or what, what these scenes look like. If you get a request, this actually came in from Quantum Leap um, about a, oh, two or three weeks ago. Uh, it has the name of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the TV show, the licensor of BMG rights, use. Um, background vocal, approximately one minute, 15 sec uh, seconds. Scene description. Uh, in the courthouse, Ben runs into the courthouse and rushes to get into the elevator. Tyler, a previous client, runs into the elevator and asks Ben for another tip. Since the first suggestion he made worked so well, Ben tells him to show up in court so he can get his bail money back, etc. You know the exact scene. If you have any questions, you ask about it. But at least they give you the scene description. They give you the media, all media excluding theatrical, but I just said. Um, and it's a life of copyright situation. Now, so there have been some changes recently that some of the series uh, on some of the, the streaming services are coming in for a five-year license only because they're, in, they're a little insecure about whether or not the actual you know, uh, series or episode is going to last. You know, if, 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 it's a, if it's a bomb, you know, you might not see it, you know, after five years. Um, in most cases, you do. But sometimes they'll do a five-year license, which is at a cheaper price, and they'll always have the option to extend it into a life of copyright license. You know, they're not going to get caught short because they only went for a five-year license, but the reason they're going for a five-year license is because their budget says we'd like to keep, you know, the music budget, you know, small, and then if the show's a hit, then we'll have the money to at least, you know, in increase the budget. Um, that's dramatic. Well, once again, the series, once again, very, very straightforward, really simple license. Um, the, the fun licenses, and I, I hope you all realize, you know, the music and dance-centric shows, um, they're, they're very interesting licenses. Things are licensed totally differently than a, than a dramatic show. And, you know, I was pleased to see that the squirrel and the jackalope actually were unmasked last night on uh, Mass Singer. Did anyone watch that? I didn't. I just read about it. I said, hello. Here, that's a show I thought would never succeed. <laughs> well, that, that's why we're not in the production business. Yeah, no, that's why we just give lectures on money. That's, yeah. a, you know, whatever. But the, the, those type of series, and if you get a request, they're very straightforward. They're very limited term. Uh, it's normally one year or two year licenses. Uh, very limited territory, US and Canada most times, because you take the voice, you've got a voice in almost every country of the world. Uh, you know, it, I think it started in, in the Netherlands, as I recall. Not many people in France want to see the voice in the U.S. That's why the territory for the U.S. Uh, television series is fairly limited. Um, it's, the fees run anywhere from low end about $2,000 to about 4,000 high end. That's that's for the, the, the basically a two-year license or a one-year license. Um, the songs are all licensed on a most favorite nations basis. 
or master recordings if you're dealing with shows like So You, Th you Think You Can Dance, which I think is a great show because uh, the music is really interesting because the choreographers usually choose the music. So a lot of times you're not looking at hit songs and songs that really people know about. You know, the choreographers have a different view of things. So uh, you get some interesting music there. But there they'll use master recordings. Obviously, the voice and the mass singer shows like that, you know, there's no master recording involved. It's just the person singing. Um, the songs are all licensed on a most favorite nations basis. So every song is paid the same. Uh, and your only, you know, answer to a request is, yes, I'll accept this fee or I won't accept the fee. There's no negotiations, you know, whatsoever. And the songs are licensed based on timing. Um, I'll give you a quick example. The voice and mass singer have two timing categories. Uh, the voice is up to one minute, 30 seconds. You get a certain fee. And then over one minute, 30, you get a certain fee. Uh, mass singer is up to a minute. And mass singer is also one minute, one to two, two minute, 30 seconds, separate fees. So everything is calculated. When the request comes in, you know exactly exactly how much you're going to be paid. There is absolutely no negotiation whatsoever. It's either yes or no uh, for these type of shows. And very quickly, a lot of these shows have options uh, because they're such short-term licenses and such limited territory licenses that the producers always want to protect themselves. So they've got the option to extend the, the territory to the world if they want. They've got the option to extend a two-year license into a life of copyright license or even just extend it for an additional two years. Um, it's in interesting. Uh, I think um, The Voice has like four separate options, and the mass Singer has about nine separate options. The interesting option to me, one of them, is in So You Think You Can Dance, there's always a tour afterwards with the top 10 dancers, a live tour. There's a jumbotron in, in back of the stage in that tour. If you're seen with your, your song uh, is shown in the jumbotron, because they show clips from prior shows, then you'll get an additional fee. So uh, it's an interesting area. It's great exposure, um, even though the fees are small to begin with, uh, talk and talk about the performance rights fee that you'll get, uh, you know, if in fact, you know, when the episode is, uh, is actually broadcast. So it's, it's, it's a really great area and it's always normally good for songs. It's rare that a song can be hurt by being in one of these, uh, you know, music or dance centric shows. Yeah. Hey, a quick thing on one other area in, in television and stuff. It's interesting. Uh, I never feel sorry for Pete Townsend. Is, you know, of the hoop. Yes. When you have a hit song as a theme to a TV series, it's an absolute goldmine. I'll give you a couple examples of Boom Boom. Jeff has that one at uh, NCIS New Orleans, yeah. uh, Forever Young for Parenthood, Bob Dylan, obviously, Wonder Years, Little Help from My Friends. Uh, uh, goes on and on and on. But how those deals work is great. It's not like a one-time fee, which Jeff just explained for synchronization license, you know, put a song into a TV series. There's actually a per-episode, new-episode fee, new sync license every time, you know, the, there's a new episode of a particular series. So it could be ranged between seven dollars and $20,000 to the publisher. So if you're looking at a, a series, let's say... Uh, uh, NCIS New Orleans, 155 episodes. You take, you know, seven, let's say it's $7,000 just to use a figure uh, for each new episode. 
that came out to a million, uh, $1,085,000. So that's just, you know, using a hit song. And normally uh, in a particular show, uh, there are life of copyright licenses uh, also. You try to get a guarantee of a certain number of episodes in the, in, in the initial negotiated, negotiated license because if a show fails, let's say, after two or three episodes, which does happen uh, particularly frequently uh, you know, and, and recently, uh, you at least get a per-episode fee for, let's say, the first ten episodes. So at least you get $70,000 in, in this particular case, even though the show got canceled. In these situations, you try to have an additional percentage amount in subsequent seasons, maybe 5% season 2, 10% uh, season 3 or 4, on top of the original fees. But as I said, it's absolutely great. It's unusual. Uh, you have to be really lucky and have the right song and stuff. But when it does happen, it's, it's a spectacular source of income. So again, I gave you a couple examples of these uh, series that CSI uh, 335 episodes of this one particular show. So takes that by, by $10,000, let's say, got an awful lot of money. And Jeff had the Sopranos theme, and it was a similar setup for that. So again, it's an unusual situation, but when it does happen, it's great. Yeah, and, and it's funny. You never know where a theme's going to come from, a use. Uh, we, we had the Sopranos theme, uh, which is what woke up this morning by a group called, in the UK, they were called Alabama 3. They had to change their name when they came to the US to, to A3. Really interesting album. You know, it did not succeed as an album, but some st very strange compositions. But it was like really interesting songs. But the reason that song was chosen for the Sopranos, uh, it was performed on uh, Morning Becomes Eclectic years ago. And one of the people from this brand new uh, uh, show uh, about the mob heard it and came to us. The song was relatively unknown. And all of a sudden, we have eight seasons worth of uh, it being the theme. So you never quite know where a theme is going to come from. Quick story about American Gigolo, which I thought was a pretty good series last year. I think it was on HBO. Uh, it was not renewed. But uh, we had the theme, the Blondie song, Call Me, uh, as the theme for that particular show. I think it only lasted seven or eight episodes. But it was, it was a good use. It was used in the opening credits. And there were also additional. Um, or additional provisions in the uh, license agreement that it could be used in various segments of the show as visual vocals or background vocals, et cetera. And in the initial episode, not only was it used as a theme, but it was also sung by a jazz piano player in one of, one of the scenes, which was a totally different version, which I thought really, really worked well. Um, the other thing is when you talk about not knowing you know, what type of songs are going to be used as themes, we had... Um, um, Sun House, who I think some of you might know is just a great blues player uh, back in the day. His song, Death Letter, was used for True Detective a few years ago. So here's a song that not many people knew about, but all of a sudden the, the estate was ecstatic you know, when we finally licensed that song. But you never know where a song is going to come from. With good music supervisors, they can find the right song and write the right recording you know, for almost anything they do. That's why uh, relationships with music supervisors can be really, really important. Give me a quick thing. On, uh, uh, what's happening frequently is these days, I mean, there's so much product being produced out there, particularly with the uh, uh, streaming services coming into the uh, whole broadcast uh, area and stuff like that. You know, a lot of the, uh, the producers are looking at particular songs and actually adapting them into a film or a TV ser series and stuff like that. So just give me a quick uh, summary of how that, those type of deals work. Yeah, and, and I must say, this is happening more and more. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at one time it was very rare, but yeah, as Todd said, 
people are looking for product, and if a song, and they're primarily country songs in most cases, because most country songs have a storyline involved. Um, you know, the producers are looking for for product. Basically, the way these things work, uh, very straightforward, but somewhat complex agreement, because there are lots of options and things that can happen, and, and uh, criteria for payment, et cetera. Basically, the producer will come to the publisher in most cases, or the songwriter, if the songwriter owns their own publishing, and ask for an option to produce, say, either a TV show or a motion picture, uh, and there'll be a fee for that. You know, the option might be 18 months, might be 24 months, but basically what the option says is that I've got, me, the producer, have the right and the exclusive right to turn this composition into a motion picture or, or a TV show or a video game if, if, if that's the direction you're going. Um, there's a payment if, in fact, there's a commitment by uh, in financing, so there's an additional payment over and above the option fee. Then once the, uh, uh, once the, uh, the yeah, and that, that's pretty much the purchase price. Purchase price is all over the place, depending on whether it's a major motion picture, indie film, TV film, et cetera. All this is, once again, purely negotiable. Depends how much bargaining power you have. Uh, the, the rights granted are basically the exclusive rights to use the, uh, the song plot, et cetera. And uh, the interesting thing is, if it's a TV show, you'll get a per uh, fee for, let's say, $5,000 or Oops, pardon me, or $10,000 for each episode you know, that's shown on television. Um, you'll get a consultancy fee many times if it's a, a TV series, which is a separate fee uh, for each episode. Uh, even though you may not be participating in that episode, there are things called consultant fees which you can negotiate uh, because you know you've, if you've got the bargaining power, you know when you know they they want your, your song. Synchronization fees every time it's used in the in an episode or in the motion picture, there's an additional fee. Profit participation, you can never count on that. But I've seen it go anywhere from 3% to 5% of the, the net receipts. Now, then the n definition of net receipts, and I think you all know there's litigation constantly on what defines net receipts. But there could be a back-end royalty if, in fact, you've got someone really good negotiating with you. Credit, you always try to get a single frame you know, based on the song, written by so-and-so. Um, that's really important. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Once again, you're not going to see this area that much, but if you've got the right song, and as Todd said, they're looking for product. Uh, this could be very, very lucrative. And if a series, if a series stays on for years, uh, you know, you got these consultancies fees, these sync fees, et cetera, and then performance income coming afterwards. Really, really valuable area if you're lucky enough to be chosen by a producer, you know, for your song to be used as the plot. Yeah, cool. Uh, let me cover the, uh, the PRO area because uh, how many uh, how many members or how many people in the audience are members of ASCAP, BMIC, SAC, or GMR? Oh, okay, a lot. Uh, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. Oh, two. Okay, good. I I, I think BMI won on that one. <laughs> it was close. It was close. It was close. And, uh, now, the GMR, I know, no one is a member of that uh, for for reasons because uh, hey, you've got four PROs in the United States and uh, they. Uh, there about $3.6 billion comes into, into them. So you got ASCAP and BMI about <coughs> $1.5 billion each in license fees. Uh, you take uh, C uh, CSAC and GMR is about another $500 million. So there's a lot of money involved in it. And it's, as most of you know, it's paid out 50% to writers, 50% to publishers. Now, the an important thing, if you're looking at your royalties and stuff, you have to know where, where the money's coming from. It's, it's basically... Uh, broadcast, cable, and satellite TV, $850 million total. I'm combining 
all four PROs. Radio, about $400 million, traditional radio. General licensing, which is bars, grills, hotels, mm -hmm. anything like that, mm -hmm. convention centers, $370 million. Uh, foreign, uh, about $825 million comes in from foreign countries to the U.S. PROs. Almost all of that is writer money, because most publishers are collecting their money directly through sub-publishers or being members of the local uh, societies. The area that is, has grown significantly is now the biggest source of income is the online digital <coughs> excuse me, streaming area, both audio and audiovisual. It's now about $1.2 billion in revenue that's coming into the four PROs, so, which is a huge change in uh, actually the royalty statements as well as what things are worth and stuff like that. But again, you have to know where the money's coming from because that really determines your royalties. If you have performances on traditional radio versus streaming, streaming radio, I'll get into the different type of rate, uh, you know, results on it in a, in a minute, but it could be huge differences. Uh, network TV versus cable TV versus pay versus uh, uh, free, uh, free cable. Everything has a different value on it. So that's why it's important to know what, how, what, where the areas the money's coming from, as well as what the future of those areas is. So you, you, you really do need to know how ASCAP, BMIC, SAC, and GMR are actually licensing the users of music. Uh, I'm gonna just give you a, a couple things you have to keep in mind. We have a whole chapter on this, as you know, in the book uh, on it. <clears throat> The, how the rates are set in this area, almost all of them are negotiated between the users and each, each PRO individually and stuff like that. In the case of ASCAP and BMI, they're under consent decrees with the government, which actually have created rate courts where if, let's say, ASCAP or BMI can't come to an agreement with the Radio Music Licensing Committee, which handles all traditional over-the-area area radio, or Spotify, uh, or Pandora, or whomever, or a ABC Network, the, you, either party can go to request a, a trial from the New York uh, Federal Court. There's an actual uh, trial, and the judge determines what the fees should be in that particular area. So, again, most the deals are negotiated, but in some, many cases, they actually go to court, and a judge actually sets what the fees are for the, any particular area here. So that keep in mind, you know, the contracts are obviously are different between ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and G GMR and stuff. Uh, uh, Foreign country royalties, again, all four PROs do have relationships with every society in the world, so that money flows back and forth. Uh, you could have, I'll give you an example, you could have the uh, uh, Bruno Mars song in uh, England, PRS in England collects for that, sends it to his U.S. society here. Uh, they look at the Beatles, you had Lennon and McCartney, they're members of PRS, the English Society, ASCAP, or BM, ASCAP panels uh, McCartney, Lennon uh, uh, is, is licensed by BMI here. Whenever they have performances here, that's sent to PRS, who then sends it to McCartney or to the estate uh, of Lennon. So again, foreign royalties are a huge uh, part of this whole thing. The uh, <coughs> type of licenses, most everybody uses the blanket license, which is, gives a user an unlimited, they, unlimited access to a PRO's license. So they can use anything, they negotiate a fee, use anything in the ASCAP or BMI repertory that they want. They could use one song, they could use a million, they've negotiated the price already. So it doesn't matter the volume that, uh, that happens with these licenses. There are other type of licenses uh, on it. Uh, that's the most important one. The, and the payment schedules, you have entirely different payment schedules, as you know, between all four organizations. So if you have a co-written song, let's say you have an ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, GMR song. 
uh, that's performed on the radio, on a streaming service, or on network TV. The, re the, the payments will be absolutely different, sometimes significantly, between each of those four writers and publishers. So just keep that in mind. You've got to be aware of what, these, what the payment schedules are, particularly for your type of works. The uh, one thing that most people don't realize is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, ASCAP and BMI particularly, they have bonus payments, bonus structures within their payment schedules. And they're a little, they're a little difficult to figure out and also because a lot of them are handled internally. All that means is that if you have a free, frequently performed song or a catalog song that <laughs> generates an awful lot of money or a song a, or a theme or score in a particular uh, uh, high-rated, Nielsen-rated show on TV, additional monies are added to the regular payment. So at the, I'll give you just a couple of these. Uh, frequently performed songs, uh, you have hit songs, you have catalog songs that have, you know, uh, let's say all Christmas songs would be catalog songs that when they are performed during that, uh, you know, October, November, December season, additional monies are added because they generate so many performances <coughs> in that three-month period. So keep that in mind uh, on it. Uh, I'll give you a couple other examples. Yeah, because just on that, yep. so you've got uh, contemporary songs, yep. you know, bonuses, you know, songs that are on the charts or being dis uh, digitally distributed, uh, and then you've got standards or, you know, songs with a prior history of, uh, of many performances. So you've got two separate types of bonuses happening at the societies, depending on where your song fits in. Yep. And you have to make it even more complex. Uh, on, on radio, you have, uh, for based on the genre, you have different size bonuses. Uh, you could have, let's say, 20,000 performances for a, uh, uh, a uh, I'm trying to think of a country song, uh, gets a certain amount of additional monies, or 100,000. They're all in tiers. So as you reach certain levels of performances, additional monies are added into it. So, uh, and I'll, I'll give you some examples of the actual payments on this. And TV, if you're into TV, first of all, you have to look at the type of use, whether it's score, a visual vocal, or a theme song, a logo, or a promo. All of those are paid differently. Then the duration uh, has a lot to do with it, time of day. Uh, audience measurement, which is the Nielsen rating, also affects the, the amount of the payment. Uh, uh, there are theme song uh, payments also for network themes that are addition, uh, give you additional monies over in a regular theme. So these a lot of bonuses within these things. So if you have any type of success, most likely you're getting a bonus on your uh, in your on your statement and stuff. And the statement will show the bonus, the amount. It won't really tell you how it was arrived at but it will show up on a particular statement when you're looking at ASCAP or, or BMI statements on it. So let me just give you a couple examples of the uh, type of payments these days, which will give you the, a good example of what things are worth. Uh, keep in mind that, uh, you've, as I said, ASCAP and, uh, and BMI, they uh, process about 5 trillion T, trillion performances each year. Now, 98% of those performances are online digital performances. So all of a sudden, and I mentioned you had about $1.2 billion of the $3.6 billion that's generated. 98% of all those performances are sharing in that $1.2 billion. So again, you just think about it, uh, per-performance uh, per value has got to be exceptionally low uh, when, you look, when you're looking at it that way. Uh, traditional radio... Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, 1.2 million performances. Are, these are actual songs in a three-month period. 1.2 million performances. There was a regular payment of $250,000 to the writer, equal amount to the publisher. 
additional bonus was $620,000 to the writer, $620,000 to the publisher. The song generated $870,000 writer, $870,000 publisher. You have a $400,000 performance song, $70,000 in regular radio payments, $160,000 bonus to the writer, publisher, and, and equal amount to the publisher. So I'm giving you examples of the extreme nature of when you do have success, it can be really, you can have a significant add-on in the PRO area. Now you start looking at the uh, digital online area, here's Spotify, 25 million performances, $4,000 in regular performances, $13,000 bonus. 56 million performances on Spotify, $12,000 in regular payments, $40,000 bonus. 100,000 performances on Spotify, $18. These are just writer figures, equal amount to the publisher. So you can really see, if, if you think, you know, if you have a lot of performances on a, a streaming service, an audio streaming service, you may think you're doing well, but someone will say to me, hey, I just got five million uh, performances on uh, Pandora or on YouTube, uh, 80, you know, 10 million on YouTube. I say, well, that's, you know, you're probably going to expect about $1,000 or, you know, something low. So you really have to get a different frame of mind when you're looking at traditional radio versus the streaming services. Same thing goes with the uh, audiovisual streaming services versus regular uh, uh, television. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, on network TV, let's say you had a, a two-minute feature on The Voice, probably worth about $3,000 to Three to four thousand dollars, writer, equal amount to the publisher for one performance. That same uh, performance on Amazon, let's say, you would need a million performances. It would generate about two hundred sixty dollars to the writer, equal amount to the publisher. So you're dealing with figures in the audio uh, streaming area and the audio visual streaming area of like zero point zero 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 two one six per performance. So. You, just, you really have to put your mind on that. When you think you're doing well, you're not doing as well as, as you may think you are. So, but again, it's a whole different world. It's getting better each year. I mean, this, these are significantly higher figures than they were five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And the PROs have, have done a good job in negotiating the fees with the, uh, with the uh, audio and audio streaming services and stuff. The problem is you've got trillions of performances on those services. So it really, you, you have a certain limited amount of money you divide all those performances in that money and based on various factors and you come up with like a publisher statement of a, of let's say a, a major publisher would have a publisher statement of 100,000 pages uh, 98,000 of those pages are you know filled up with 0 0.00012 per composition so just keep that in mind so that, that's we have a whole chapter in the book on all this stuff. So I just give I'm just giving the overview of this type of things. Yeah, and also yeah, <clears throat> knowing the rules of society is important. Todd mentioned yeah. the uh, the voice and what you get, you know, for the performance on the voice. It depends on timing. Also, there are timing restrictions. Yeah. There's, I forget, is it over 15? I forget what it is. Yeah, but 45 uh, seconds. In 45 seconds. Yeah. So if it's over a certain amount, you're going to get a certain amount. If it's under, if the performance is under a certain amount, you're going to get an additional or a, a certain amount as well. So it's but both are different. So you have to know the rules and regulations of the society. That's why it's important to look at your cue sheet and make sure that the performance that actually was broadcast. Uh, you know, conforms with what was on the cue sheet and what you licensed. You know, if you licensed a song for a minute and a half and it, it appears to be in the show a minute and 45, then you have to go back to the producer and say, hey, you, you extended the use of the song so that there's an additional fee, you know, due. So, 
Um, I, you finished with performances? Yeah, yeah very. I'm, I'm going to talk about this next area fairly briefly because it's, it's somewhat complex. Yeah, and it has to do with uh, audio uh, interactive streaming services like Spotify, um, Amazon, uh, Apple, et cetera, where the listener actually can choose the specific master recording and song that they want to listen to. It's not like you know, a radio station where you can either choose a genre or just listen to what the, you know, what's, what's on the playlist. The, these are you know, the interactive sites. Um, the, the Copyright Royalty Board meets every five years to establish what is known as a mechanical royalty. A mechanical royalty is basically it's a distribution royalty. Back in the old days, if you had a CD or you had vinyl and your song was on, on a CD and it was sold, there'd be a statutory rate that was determined by the Copyright Royalty Board, and that would be payable to the publisher, who would then pay the songwriter pursuant to the deal you know, the songwriter has with the, with the publisher. Um, the, that whole concept was extended to a fairly new right a number of years ago to interactive streaming. Obviously, interactive streaming services weren't around 15, 20 years ago. But there's a brand new right um, that the Copyright Royalty Board, um, you know, determines every five years. There's a, uh, a trial, basically, with uh, the music publishers, songwriter organizations on one side, uh, the digital services on the other side. There's negotiations. If the parties can't come to an agreement, then the Copyright Royalty uh, Board and the judges, where three judges determine what the rates will be. Uh, very expensive process. Uh, it goes on too long. But this past year, the Copyright Royalty Board really increased the royalties that are due songwriters and music publishers to a fairly decent uh, degree. Um, and the first uh, payments will be paid out for the January uh, 2003 month in about a month and a half by an organization which hopefully all of you will join because it's free. It's called the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Um, the website is themlc.com. Um, basically, it is the exclusive organization that collects your digital mechanical royalties. Uh, if, you're, if you're signed to a publisher, your publisher will be the one that signs up with the MLC. If you're a self-administered songwriter, you own your own compositions and administer them then you will be joining the MLC um, by, by yourself. Uh, it's totally free. Uh, there is no administration charge whatsoever because uh, this was all established by the Music Modernization Act uh, a few years ago. Um, but the, 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 uh, the costs of the service are absorbed by the digital companies, you know, the Apple Spotify's. They pay the, uh, uh, the, the freight every year, you know, for the organization. But it's a free organization. I suggest everyone to go into the site. There's valuable information in there. Uh, and I'll give you just a, a sense of how the, the calculations work. Unfortunately, they're extremely complicated. Um, we had hoped on the songwriter and music publisher side that they'd be much simpler, like a set per stream rate, et cetera, but that, that didn't happen. Um, just very briefly, there's a number of prongs in the, in the calculation. Uh, basically, it starts off with a percentage of the revenue for the service. Uh, currently, it's 15.1% of the service's revenue. You take that item, and then you do the greater of 
what the service pays for the to content costs, what it pays the record companies to use the master recordings, and there's there's another sublevel of a subscription base. You times the number of subscribers to a certain service, uh, times a certain penny rate could be sixty cents, uh, dollar, etc., depending on the type of service. And I'm not going to get it. This is very complicated stuff, <laughs> but you know, by by the time you arrive at the final. Uh, uh, you know, figures, and I, I, you know, you could get, uh, in fact, I'll give you exact, uh, Apple, you've got, depending on the service, and all these things, depending on the service, Apple has six services that are licensed. Uh, Amazon has nine different types of services that they license to consumers. Spotify has three different services, but take Spotify, this, the range of royalties go from 0 0.003 to Point zero zero six three, depending on it, whether it's a sub subscription service or a free ad-supported service. You start timing those figures, type the number of performances. It doesn't seem much, but but they do add up. You know, I must say, and it's a growing right. The the more there are digital services, are you know getting more and more subscribers, the more money that's going to be contributed to this situation. And it's an area where CD mechanicals and download mechanicals are decreasing. But this area is definitely increasing, and the Copyright Royalty Board really took the interests of songwriters and music publishers uh, in, 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 uh, to, you know, and increased the royalties to a fairly decent amount uh, this past time. Very quickly, uh, in simplistic terms, I'll tell you how this works. I'm taking a Spotify statement just using broad range figures. Let's say you were dealing with a, a percentage of 13.3%, which was last year's percentage, uh, as opposed to this year's 5. Or it was a couple years ago, uh, as opposed to 5.5 or 15.1. Let's say uh, it was five million dollars was the, was the pool. That's what the 15 uh, percent or the current 15 percent is. What you do is deduct the cost of the performance rights society's payments. So let's say. Um, uh, the five million goes down. Let's say uh, they paid ASCAP and BMI two million five. The five million goes down to two million five, because two million five was deducted from performance rights, and that two million five is divided by all the songs that are performed in the uh, on, on a particular service on a monthly basis. The great thing about the MLC, they pay monthly. There's no fee, and I really suggest everyone go into their site and really uh, you know join the organization. Really important. There's going to be a test in the morning on yeah. what Jeff just but, said. Yeah, th this, th <laughs> for th me. This stuff is really complicated, yep. unfortunately. But I tell you, it's a great new source of income, man, because you've got performance is the biggest source of income for writers and publishers. Sync is second, and mechanicals is third, and this yeah. is part of mechanicals. So uh, it is an important area. A couple quick things. Video games, uh, the, you have two types of games, really. One is like the console-type games, uh, Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, Grand Theft Auto, Madden's NFL, any of those type of games, the sports games. They're one-time fees. One, they look very similar to a sync license for a film. There's no back end, obviously, because these stuff, unless the video game's made into a TV series or a movie, there's no back end on it. So it's a one-time fee to put the song into a video game. The music-centric games are great. The ones like uh, Rock Band, uh, DJ Hero, uh, the Dance Central, the dance games, they're great because you can actually make an awful lot of money. The formulas are varied in this area. I'll give you uh, three different types of formulas. One, you always get an advance to put the song into the game. Let's say it's five, ten thousand dollars $10,000, whatever you negotiate. One, uh, one area is zero to 500,000 units sold, one cent per song goes to the publisher. 
from $500,000 to a million units sold goes to 1.5 cents per song. And then over that, it goes to two cents per song, any sales over a million. And as you know, these games sell in the millions of, uh, of units and stuff. So you can actually make a lot of money on these things. Second formula is really uh, $7,000 to put the song in the game, $4,000 at 350,000 units sold, additional 6,000 at 550,000 units sold. Just keep on adding incremental numbers as it reaches certain sales plateaus and stuff. The downloadable content, the DLC stuff, if your, video, if your song is not in the, radio, in the original game and it's chosen to be downloaded into the game, it's normally 20% of the net revenue of, to, that comes into, let's say, Activision or whomever the company is. So, again, there are some songs which are downloaded subsequent to the game can make an absolute fortune if it's the Rice song. Most of the stuff is on most favored nations with the uh, sound recording, so the record company is also getting the benefit of that same thing. That's, you know, we have a whole chapter on video games and stuff, but it can get very complex, particularly the ones when the user can start recording themselves in their particular version of the song, but uh, we cover that in the book. One last thing, the sound exchange thing for artists and record companies, which I'm sure most of you are involved with uh, or, or will be involved with, very important. Sound exchange, uh, it, they uh, collected over a billion dollars last year, which is distributed 50% to art, the featured artist, uh, for, I'm sorry, 50% to the record company, 45% to the featured artist, and 2.5% each to the background musicians and background vocalists. So it's a huge pot of money, and it's basically for non-interactive services. Pandora is, is a good example of that. For interactive services, Spotify and all those, those deals are negotiated directly between uh, let's say Spotify and the record company. So this, they don't apply to sound exchange whatsoever. The rates uh, are, I'll give you the, what the recent rates are. Uh, the 2023 rates for uh, uh, webcasting is point, 0 0.0022 per performance and 0.0024 for non-subscription services. The 0 0.0022 is for subscription services. For uh, Sirius XM satellite radio service, they pay 15.5% of their gross revenue to Sound Exchange, which is split up with the, with the split that I just gave you. Music Choice, you know, the uh, music channels at the, at the end of the cable station, they pay about 75% of their gross revenue to Sound Exchange. So again, when you start looking at the Sound Exchange statements, who they pay monthly, you're seeing big numbers. Uh, I mean, I've seen major albums. I was representing a producer on a major album of the year, and the producer was getting over $100,000. And just so you know, for producers or anybody involved in the creative process of a sound recording, with Sound Exchange, they can get a letter of direction from the featured artist so they can actually share in the Sound Exchange monies that the featured artists get. And that's very common. So, but you know, I was dealing with a producer who was making uh, like $150,000, and that's the producer cut of the featured artists. So you can see a major album can really generate millions of dollars from sound exchange. Again, it uh, doesn't cost anything to join. Uh, they also cover foreign royalties if you, has, if you actually join them. All you have to do is register with sound exchange to collect this money. Uh, I mean, even Jeff and I registered for a, a sound recording <laughs> yeah. we did. We, we were very unsuccessful recording artists back in the, mm, quite a few years ago. Yeah, don't and, mention uh, it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, did, uh, we, we did join sound exchange and, uh, and we've 
vaccine .0038 that came into us last week. Yes. But, and no, you, but you know I, why? Because I was the one that chose to listen to my song on Spotify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, just, I did it right after him. But again, it's no. a major source of income if you're an artist or a record company. So and it's free to join, so we really do recommend it. It's like the MLC things uh, and the ASCAP BMI stuff. I mean, you have to join anyway in uh, GMR and PRO uh, and uh, CSAC and stuff. So I, I think we're, we're pretty yeah, much the, running the out of time. about Sound Exchange also, if the yeah. deal goes through Sound Exchange, Sound Exchange pays the artist directly. Yeah, which is great. It doesn't pay the record company. So if the artist has an unrecouped advance balance at the record company, you know, the record company can't use that money to recoup the advance. It goes directly to the artist, which is really, really Im important for the artist, that's for sure. Yep. And in the, as I mentioned, in the interactive area, uh, oh. the labels pay the artist according to the artist's uh, contract. Very, very different from the 50% to 45%, 45% featured artists rate that the uh, sound exchange gets. Uh, well, one, one last quick, quick story. I mentioned our recording career. Jeff and I got off the plane yesterday, and we're walking over oh. the hotel, and this, uh, you know, there's a couple of young, young group of people there, and one of the girls says, God, are you guys in a band? We said, yeah, yeah, 40 years ago. <laughs> so, that was the, so we decided to become lawyers and business people. So uh, that's, that's, that's where we are today. Hey, I tell you, we Braybeck, Braybeck, Nash, and Young. <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> Still around. But I tell you, we've got a lot of stuff in the book for all of you guys who, who have it already. You know that. The eighth edition uh, is there. Our website is good, musicandmoney.com. We do an awful lot of articles uh, on music rates and royalties, which you can probably find online. Entertainment Law and Finance just put a really good one up for... Uh, rate, uh, rates, uh, music rates and royalties 2023. So uh, we, we really do recommend. I really got to hand it to all you guys showing up uh, yeah. uh, on this day, and it's great. This is our 29th straight year having a panel here. So uh, yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and each one of them has been spectacular. Yes. And, and don't worry, we're not going to sing our old song. <laughs> so, thanks, everyone. <laughs>